This morning, we're going to continue our series called The Art of Neighboring. And it's, it's one of these series that just seems so basic that as we go through it, it's, it's kind of like, do, do we really need to, to, to get back like, at this base level? Do we really need this kind of a thing? And, and I think if you look around our society, if you look around our culture, the answer to that is just a resounding yes, we do. Like, we need to be reminded of the most important things. And uh, when Jesus was asked what the most important commandment in all the law was, this was, uh, this was his response. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And, and that's what we would expect Jesus to say is the most important thing, is to love God with everything that we are, is to give him everything that we are. Um, but he doesn't stop there. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment, but a second one is equally important. So equally important with this understanding that we all have that we should love God is this, this idea that we should love our neighbor as ourself. Equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this is so important, important that all the law and all the writings of the prophets, they hinge on this. They're, they're all summed up in these two things, love God and love your neighbor. And we've been We've been exploring this idea that sometimes we find ourselves diluting this truth by saying that we should just love everyone. And when we say we should love everyone, sometimes we fail to love the people who are right around us. Uh, and we, we had this, this, this first question, which uh, I think for some of us, my, myself included, is uh, the simple question, do you, do you even know your neighbor? Like, do you know the names of the people who actually literally live next door to you? And I think for some of us, we were kind of confronted with that, and we're like, no, I, I, I don't, but it's their fault because they go in their garage and put the garage down. It's, it's, it's not me. So we gave you these magnets. Um, hopefully, you have your magnet. How are you doing with the magnet? You don't want me to have you raise your hand, right? You're kind of like, it's, it's in my car still. Um, but I've been learning, that, I've been learning uh, because I needed to. I've been learning the, the names of my neighbors, you know? Bill and Nancy across the street, they're out almost every single morning. They have dogs, um, and they don't bark, so I love them. And um, <laughs> they walk their dogs, and, and they take them down to the park, so it's easy to talk to them. And uh, the Weisses next door, uh, it's, it's easy because they have kids that are about the same age as our kids, so they climb over the fence, and they do their thing. And, uh, but, but the other ones aren't as, as, as easy. Like Rebecca, I hardly ever see her next door. So I'm starting to learn the names of my neighbors and the other day, um, maybe you're like this, I've, I've, I've been, you know, feeling like I should talk to my neighbors more because we're in this series, and I feel like if I'm going to talk to you guys about it, I should probably try it myself. <laughs> and um, so I'm driving up, and I notice that Rebecca, like right down uh, next to us, I, I notice that she's, she's pulled her car into the garage, and the garage door is, is still up. And so I'm driving by, and I stop, and I roll down my window. And I'm like, I wonder what I should say to her right now. And she kind of looks out, and I think she kind of sees me, and she gets her stuff, and she kind of heads in, and then she kind of keeps peeking out, and I'm like, she thinks like I'm a stalker. So I just drove off, and <laughs> I was like, I'll talk to her later. And um, so I failed. Uh, anybody else, have you failed any in this series? Um, I'm alone, right, in my, my failings. Uh, so Rebecca thinks I'm the stalker next door. Uh, okay, so I want you to talk to your neighbor just for a second, and, and we like to do this every now and then if you're new. Um, it's okay to talk in church sometimes. I want you to tell your neighbor uh, if you can remember the best neighbor you've ever had. So it can be when you were a kid, it could be 
uh, years ago. It could be right now. So the best neighbor, and if your neighbor's sitting next to, to you, you might want to <laughs> tell them it's them. Um, but best neighbor you've ever had. So go ahead and share with your, your, the person next to you, your best neighbor you've ever had. All right. Best neighbor you've ever had. You got it? Now, I kind of would ask you, it, it sounds like you're sharing not just the best neighbor you've ever had, but it sounds like you're sharing why they're your best neighbor. I mean, you're sharing stories, which is awesome. Um, I think the best neighbor I've ever had, uh, it was a family named the Comptons. And they didn't live right next door. They, they lived kind of catty corner to us um, in Oklahoma. I don't think I have any neighbors here today, so um, Comptons uh, in, in Oklahoma. And, and I started to think, why would I consider them the best neighbors, right? What, what, what helps you judge the best neighbors? And I started to think back, as soon as we moved into the neighborhood, every time they drove by and we were outside, they would stop and roll down their window, and they began doing things like this. They, they began saying, hey, we're headed to Target. Do you need anything? Like, just out of the blue. You know, and, and at first I was like, no, no, hey, we're headed to the grocery store, do you need anything? And eventually I was like, let me go get my list, I'll be back. <laughs> um, but every time, and they had a, uh, they had a golf cart, and they ro- rode around the uh, community in the golf cart, and they'd always stop, and they knew, they knew everybody, and everybody knew the Comptons. And uh, they, they were just incredible, incredible neighbors. And I was thinking, why, why would I consider them the best neighbors? It's because they made our neighborhood a better place. You know what I mean? They made it a better place to live. You just, you felt like they were watching out for you. They were always willing to, to lend a hand. Um, I remember one time there were some kids, we had a neighborhood pool, and some kids uh, were at the pool late at night, and, and they were doing things like throwing things into the pool, and, and um, Mr. Compton took care of it. He said, I'll take care of it. I'll have, a, I'll have a conversation with them. So they just made our neighborhood a better place, except for the high school kids. But for everybody else, they made the neighborhood um, a better place. And I remember uh, Jason was, was diagnosed uh, with, with, with cancer. And I remember uh, the neighborhood surrounding that family with love and care through one of the most difficult moments in their lives. I remember standing in their living room in a huge circle with neighbors praying for Jason. And then he spent like nine months uh, down in Houston, and his family was in Oklahoma City. I remember that neighborhood, like, surrounding them. Like, so what they had done, the, the kind of neighbors they were, encouraged everyone else to be a better neighbor to them. It, it was like this, this growing thing that took place. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. Now, last week, um, Matt, which it was an incredible message. If, if you weren't her, here last week, go online and listen to Matt Zelich's message uh, he talked about the Good Samaritan, which comes right after Jesus talks about the greatest commandment. Someone, 
uh, who's talking to Jesus wants to kind of qualify who's my neighbor, you know? So if I have to love God, I have a sense of who God is. But if I have to love my neighbor, well, who's, who's my neighbor? You know, is, is this going to be on the test? Is it my next door neighbor? I mean, who is my neighbor? And so Matt really spends a lot of time last week talking about that. But the line that I want to jump off of today is this one. Then a disp- despised Samaritan... So the story is that a guy is beat up, and he's left for dead, and everything's taken from him, and these religious guys kind of pass by on the other side of the road. You remember this story? Many of you um, have probably read this or heard this. Uh, So they pass by on the other side of the road, and then it says, but a despised Samaritan, so those that were kind of on the margins of, of the Jewish world, came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He felt compassion for him. And I, I, I highlighted this word, compassion. I kind of circled it and underlined it in my Bible. And here's my question for me and for you. Do we feel compassion for the people that we see each and every day? Do we feel compassion for them? And for me, I mean, the, the easy answer is, is probably not. I don't, I don't feel as much compassion for the people who live around me as I do I feel my own busyness and a little bit of apathy, right? I just don't want to spend the time because I've got other things going on. Do you ever feel that way? Um, it's like, do you remember that old movie? Like, I see dead people. You remember that? Like, I wonder if we really see the people who are all around us each and every day, the people that we pass on the street, the people who are in the houses right next door or across the street or in the apartment complex or the condos or at the pool, or just walking the streets, do we see them? And beyond do we see them, do, do we feel anything for them? And I think this story just kind of launches this idea that, that God wants us to feel compassion for the people who are all around us. So Matthew chapter 5, and this is going to be our, our passage for today. If, if you have your Bibles and you want to open up to Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read it from a different um, translation, a different paraphrase, just to give us a a different glimpse of it. Um, But Matthew chapter 5 begins Jesus' famous teaching, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. So it's probably his most recognized teaching. It's this chunk of teaching material that is so powerful, so many truths, so many one-liners you could probably pull out. Just a great little teaching from Jesus. And he begins uh, with this list of saying, blessed are. Do you remember this? Blessed are. Uh, and he goes just through this, this whole list, the poor in spirit, uh, those who have been set aside. Blessed are all these people. And the reason he begins with this, I believe, is because most of us, and this is true back in his day, most of us believe that the blessed ones, the ones that God blesses, are those who have it all together. Like we look at those who have financial resources and we say, well, they're blessed by God. Or we... Um, Something good happens to us, and, and we put it on Instagram, and we're hashtag blessed, right? We're blessed because good things have happened. But what Jesus wants people to know is that you are blessed even in your worst moments. Like, God blesses you even when things don't look good for you. So what he's doing, he's leveling the playing field, and he's saying, you know what? No matter where you are in life, no matter what you have or what, what you don't have, God is blessing you if you'll have that perspective, And then he says this, let me tell you why you are here, why you're on this earth. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Don't you love that, this translation, this this paraphrase of this passage? 
Uh, in, in other translations, it just says, you're the salt of the earth. But Eugene Peterson, when he writes this, and he's trying to get the flavor of it, he says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. And then he asks the question, if you lose, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Like part of our role, where we are, where you've been planted, where I've been planted, is, is, is to be salty. Look at your neighbor and say, you're salty. <laughs> you're salty. Like, like you have been placed, you have been placed where you are to bring out some sort of God flavor in your world, right? And, you know, a lot of, if, if you read about this passage, um, those who spend a lot of time studying this, and, and, you, and, you, and you ask the question, uh, what does salt do? There's, there's really two things that, that salt has done for years, and this is true in the ancient world, and it's true today. The first thing is it preserves, right? Salt preserves. It, it protects. It protects the, the integrity of what's there. And, and I think Jesus is saying this to us, that we're here to, in a sense, preserve the life that God has given. Like, in our neighborhoods, we're, we're here to preserve the life that is all around us. We're, we're like a preservative, which is an interesting way to think of ourselves. You're, you're salt seasoning. But the other big piece is this, that, that, it, that it flavors, right? And I think this is what Eugene is kind of picking up on, that, that salt flavors things. Now, how many of you um, really like salt, like you like a lot of salt? Yeah, my father-in-law, he puts way too much salt on everything. I always tell my kids, don't, don't do what Papa does when he's putting salt on his food, because he just like, everything he eats, he just puts tons of salt, salt on it. Um, I, I did a, a little research, and um, the other two churches that we're working with did some research. Do you know why salt tastes good to us? Two, two different reasons. And there's actually a group of people who study this kind of thing. I always wonder, like, where, how do you get into studying salt? Like, how does that become your job? I mean, anyway, so uh, the study, the research on salt, why is, is, is salt tasty to us? The first reason is because our bodies need it. Did you know that? That one reason salt tastes good to you is because your body actually needs it and it craves it. And so salt tastes good to you. Um, my, my kids are, are funny because I'm always, when they're thirsty, I'm like, well, drink some water. And they're like, I don't want water. I, I want Coke. And I'm like, well, Coke doesn't quench your thirst. And they're like, yes, it does. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. Drink water. Like water, when you, when you taste water when you're really thirsty, you love it. Why? Not because it's flavorless, because you need it. Your body needs it to survive. Well, you need salt. Now, think about the tie-in here in our world, that deep within each one of us, deep within each one of your neighbors is, is a need for God, for his love, his grace, his mercy, his hope, his peace. And we are to be the salt which brings this out so that people might know God's goodness. That's our job. That's our role. Jesus said that's why we're here is to flavor things. The other thing about salt, this research institute up in the Northeast, um, what they talk about is that salt, uh, when, it, when it interacts with other flavors, it actually brings flavors out that we can't taste without the salt. They're, they're, they're too complex. The flavors are too complex for us to, to be able to identify. And so it does this thing in our brain where we begin to see the complexity of other tastes because of salt. Isn't that interesting? 
I, I think maybe when, when, we, when we see Jesus saying that you are the salt of the earth, that you're the salt seasoning, that I wonder if, if what he had in mind is that we would live in such a way that we would begin to bring out flavors that are already all around us, but people can't quite taste yet. Your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates, that you are to be the kind of person that begins to add flavor and awareness of God's grace and his mercy and his peace. I love that, that picture. Um, Robert Louis Stevenson that Scottish author, uh, in, his, in his diary, he, he wrote this. I found this funny. I've been to church today and am not depressed. And he wrote it like in a, it sounded like it was in a surprise manner. <laughs> I went to church today. It was so boring. But no, I wasn't depressed. Awesome. We, we shouldn't be depressed when we're around each other. Like, people shouldn't look, and I think this, like our world looks at Christians and go, they're so boring. They're depressing. And I think they, like, we should bring out flavors in this world that no one would experience if it weren't for those who follow Jesus. So he continues, Jesus continues. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept to ourselves. We are going public with this, like a city on a hill. And in some ways, this passage um, kind of shaped what we wanted to, to talk about in this series in that you and I have been placed in our neighborhoods or in our condo communities or in our apartments. We've been placed there to be a light, like a city on a hill. Uh, my, the best neighbor that I would consider the, the Comptons, they were, they were a light in our neighborhood. If anyone needed anything, they knew where they could go because there was this light shining in our neighborhood. And I find myself, I want to be that kind of light. Uh, light does a few different things. Light provides hope, right? It provides hope for us. Uh, see if you can fill in the blank on this. Um, I can see the, what? Light. You're like, duh. <laughs> Matt, are you kidding me? Because there's this hope. There's, there's, there's hope where there's light. If we're the light of the earth, if, if Jesus says you are you're to be the light of the earth, that we should have some hope in us. It's not, it's not just hope, but, but there's security. Uh, there's security with light. Like, we, sh we should provide some sort of security for the people around us. I, I, you know, I have three boys, and not once have I, ever, have I ever been woken up in the middle of the night, and my kids have yelled for me to come in, and I've come into their bedroom, and they've said, Dad, can you turn off the lights? I'm so scared. They never say that, right? They say, turn on the lights because I'm scared of the dark. They don't say, turn off the lights. Turn them on. Because there's security where there's light. Darkness doesn't provide security. Light, if we're to be light, we, we're to provide hope, security, and direction. Direction for people. To help people find their way, to be there when people have questions about, what should I do next? Uh, Bill Hybels, I, I love this quote. You might be the single flame in someone's dark night you might be the single flame in someone's dark night who reminds them that there is a God who created them, who loves them, and who yearns to relate to them, starting right where they are. Our world is filled, and I don't have to tell you this, is filled with despair and 
hopelessness. And God might have positioned you and he might have positioned me in such a way in our neighborhood so that we might be a light to those who have no hope, to remind them of God's care for them, his love, that they're not alone. Uh, So a few months ago, I saw this story on on Facebook, and it was from our church, and uh, we knew we were going to be doing this series, and and I said, we've got to get this on video. This is exactly what we're talking about, and um, uh, the Roars are are friends, and and they've been a part of our church for a number of years, and um, they did something uh, with their neighbors that that I thought was inspiring, and uh, I thought you might want to to be inspired by, by it as well. So... Uh, this is Tony and, and Jamie and, and their kids, and uh, they're helping us to understand how do we how do we be a sal- how do we be salt how do we be a light to our neighbors. Check this out. I'm Tony Rohr, and this. It was a quick one. I'm Tony Rohr, and this is my wife, Jamie, and we've been going to McDowell Mountain Church for about six years now. Living in Arizona, there are so many walls built, and it's so different than my experience growing up in the Midwest. We really are not a great state for community. In the summer, it's blazing hot, and you come home, the garage opens, your car pulls in, the garage shuts. And we felt really bad about that, the fact that we were living around other people and we had no sense of who they were or where they were from or what their story was. And we wanted them to know that we were available should they ever need a cup of sugar or CPR or something like that, we're around. <laughs> it was a day that I had been operating most of the day and I, I came home and Jamie has, the kitchen has turned into this like massive pie manufacturing center. She's punched out little leaves to put around the edges of the crust and just like a thing of beauty. And I'm like, what's going on? And she said, I'm baking pies for the neighbors. And the kids were up in their rooms doing their homework and I hollered to them, hey, Jamie's baking pies. We're gonna give them to the neighbors. Are you guys coming with us? And they were all in just like that. It had really been on my heart, like reach out to people. And these are the people that are closest to us that we see driving their cars by and sometimes we see their kids and they see our kids out on the driveway all the time and so I just kind of felt the sense like we need to do something and I love to bake I love to cook so it just seemed natural when I was making pies for our family to add a couple extra pies and go meet our neighbors. Every single neighbor came to their door opened it, invited us into their homes, and shared a little bit about themselves. The house at the very top of the street, you'd never see signs of life in there other than lights on, and so we just picked a door to knock on, and they came and, and opened the door, and so we met everybody. We, they invited us in, sit down on their sofa, and they looked at the pie and they said, I cannot believe you guys brought us a pie. We were just talking about this woman who's very dear to us, that every year her signature move was to bake pies for everybody. And she died this summer 
And they were literally minutes before we walked up lamenting that they would not have her pies this year. And we came to the door with a pie. And they just were floored by that. They couldn't believe it. That was really spectacular how God enabled us to minister to them just a little bit in, in their time when they were missing this person that had been so important to them in their life. I remember those bracelets, they were really popular like 20 years ago, what would Jesus do? And I never really thought too much about what that meant. And now that makes a lot of sense to me, you know, if, if Jesus lived on this street here in, in Scottsdale, what would he do? He would get to know his neighbors. And that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, go build a barn in your neighbor's backyard or something like that. Just say hello to them. Just know who they are, know them by their name, and care about them as a person, and that will make a huge difference. Well, I would just say, baking pies and taking them to the neighbors is not something that I would just do on my own. I'm not the most outgoing person, but my family is. And so I knew I had the support system at home that would help us do that. And so that is really nice to be able to connect with my partner and do something that I might not be comfortable doing on my own. I love people and I love to reach out, but it's nice to be able to do it with family. And so our girls are busy doing their homework. They have crazy schedules and they have so many activities going on. And it was amazing to see them light up and them see our neighbors opening the door and asking them, what, what's your name and how old are you and where do you go to school? They loved it. And I think that is what impressed me the most was not even something that we did for the neighbors. It was what happened with us. And we bonded more as a family and we got to know our neighbors and we knew that they cared about us. And just seeing the kids like get comfortable with our neighbors and feel good about something that we were doing to show our love to others was really amazing that day. I wish they lived next door to me. <laughs> Listen to this. This is how Jesus ends this, this passage of Scripture. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father they have in heaven. Don't you love the ending of that? You're salt seasoning. You're, you're, you're the light of the world. And by opening up to others, but by, by keeping this open house, by being generous with what you've been given, you'll prompt other people to then open up to God. Look, God wants to use you. And he wants to use me. And it's not in some huge, grand story that sometimes we're scared of. He wants to use you in a very simple way. To be a little bit of salt, a little bit of flavor to your neighbors. To, to be light in your neighborhood. To, to be the kind of people that others look at and smile. Because they want to be around. God wants to use you to do just that. So here's the, here's the homework for this week. Um, some of you, are, you, you kind of know where I'm going already, and you're like, oh, I have to bake pies. No, you don't have to bake pies. 
Um, we've, we've been walking through this, uh, learn their names. We, we've, we've, we've challenged each other just to learn the names of those people who live around us, to, to invite them over at some point. Um, some of you are still like holding out that that week you're not going to be here because you don't want to invite people over. But invite them over. Um, give something good. So this is the homework for this week, is to make something. Cookies, brownies, pie. And some of you are like, Matt, you don't understand. I'm not a good cook. It would not be good flavor for my neighbors to eat what it is that I produce in my house. Buy something. <laughs> go, go to Trader Joe's or, or Fry's and, and buy something because it's not about what they're eating. It's about the gift itself. So do something good for your neighbors. Now, I know that uh, for many of us, the idea of just knocking on our neighbor's door and, and giving them something scares us to death. How many of you say, that, that's just not something I'm real comfortable with? Anybody? Nobody? Some of you? Okay, well, then we're all going to do it. Awesome. Um, for some of us, it makes us really nervous. But listen, uh, what, what the Roarers experienced, I think, will be what you experience, that people will open their doors and they'll open their lives with a simple gesture of bringing something good. So whether it's something that you bake or something that you buy, uh, bring some flavor to your neighbor. That kind of rhymes. Bring some flavor to your neighbor. (laughs) You should write that down. Bring some flavor to your neighbor this week. Bring some flavor to your neighbor this week. Do something good for your neighbor. Be salt and be light. Well, um, one thing that I've been thinking about in this series and we're going to close in just a minute with, with communion. But one thing I've been thinking about throughout this series is this idea that before we can be salt and light to others, before we even take the step of, of loving our neighbors, we have to receive the love and the light of our Heavenly Father. And I, as I've been walking through this, I've, I've, I've kind of been confronted with this idea that Matt... Everyone here may not have that light within them. Maybe they haven't opened their, their life to God yet. And so um, as we move to this time of communion, um, I want to challenge you to do just that, to open yourself to a God who loves you and cares for you, to a God who, who never leaves you alone, to a God who is a light in your darkest moments, And um, this God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son. He sent Jesus for you and for me, uh, in some ways to give us a glimpse of who he is. So so Jesus becomes this this picture of who God is, but also uh, to, to give us a way to relate to him, to help us realize that we don't have to work our way back to our heavenly father, but through Christ and what he's done we can have right standing with God. Jesus, uh, at one point in in the scriptures, uh, he made this statement, I am the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And before we can shine God's light, we must receive God's light. And so today, as we take communion, uh, maybe for you, for the very first time, you would find yourself opening your life, your mind, your heart, to the light of the world, Jesus. And and maybe you would ask him to to come in and and, and be a light in your darkness. Maybe 
you find yourself surrounded uh, by this, uh, just this, this overwhelming darkness and you need, you need God's love. Um, I'm going to ask you just to kind of bow your heads for a minute and, um, and just to, to think. Think about the love and the grace of your heavenly Father the God who, who never leaves you alone, the God who pursues you even when you turn and you run from him. I remember growing up in a home where, where, where he was talked about. But I realize many um, grow up in environments where that's, that's not even something that's mentioned, that, that there is a God who loves you. And I want you to know today that you have a heavenly father who pursues you, who loves you, loves you right where you are, not with any expectation for you to earn your way back to him, but he just loves you right where you are. And he sent Jesus so that you might know this. Um, with your heads just bowed and, and nobody looking around, um, I don't do this very often, but if you're someone who would, who would just simply say, I, I need some light in my life, like I need, I need God's light in my heart and in my mind, um, would you just kind of slip your hand up this morning, and uh, I want to say a prayer for you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. God, um, there, there are many in this room who, who need your light in the darkness of their world. And many today have acknowledged that just by simply raising their hand. Others um, know in their hearts and their minds that, um, that they need you. God, I pray that your spirit would, would move in that, that the light of Christ would begin to shine brighter and brighter within them. And God, as we take communion uh, this morning, as we're reminded of, of your love for us, God, I pray that that spark would do something in us. It, it would begin to move us to live in a different kind of way. That we would receive a light that, that we can't contain, but we simply just let overflow to those who live next door, those who work next door us. God, thank you for sending Jesus to be the light. Thank you for loving us uh, wherever we are. And God, the truth is all of us need to receive your light each and every day. I mean, we all need it. We all need your grace, mercy, your hope, your peace. God, I pray that we would all acknowledge that as we take uh, the bread and the cup today. God, I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.